our liberties their danger and the means of preserving them by george washington bethune this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org galatians 5:1 stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free jesus christ was a patriot the overflowings of his love went forth through every channel of human affection faithful to his god faithful to his people and faithful to the world he was not the less faithful to the land of his birth this is clearly seen in his personal efforts to bless his brethren of a common ancestry his tears over the waning glories of jerusalem and his command given after his bitter trials and death to begin there the work of evangelizing the world every christian should be a patriot christianity is our religion of him who implanted in our hearts a love of our own and who condemns the man who owns no such ties as worse than an infidel the love of country is but an extension of the love of home association gratitude and interest combine to feed its flame the plea of general benevolence as an excuse for the neglect of meaner ties is hypocritical and false the loftiness of philanthropy cannot be attained by despising the intermediate gradations of social feeling the man who would abandon his household to want that he might lavish his substance upon strangers is scarcely more unnatural than he who divorces his country from his heart to make room for the world the author of virtue has established a different order he has indeed made the heart of man the centre of a circle wide as humanity but he hath described within it narrower spheres which the heart must overflow to reach the farther boundary and he who is not a patriot can never be a philanthropist yet as moral duties never clash with each other and as personal happiness can only be attained by a wise regard to the general good so true patriotism can never be inconsistent with the more extended benevolence and the converse of the proposition is evident that he who is not a philanthropist can never fulfil the obligations of a patriot nor can he serve his country aright who disobeys the precepts of his god but my hearers if patriotism be so natural an affection that he who feels it not is a monster among his kind what should be the strength of its emotion in our hearts the lord hath not dealt so with any other people our country in the early bloom of her youth rises high in comparison with the empires of the past or present and reads in the catastrophe of other infant commonwealths the truth that none less than almighty power hath fostered her recent vigour the confused rabble of democratic athens the barbarous strength of brutal sparta the unequal rights of consular rome although the grey veil of classic reverence hath somewhat hidden their rude proportions place in bolder relief the doric simplicity of our rising government while half unfranchised britain struggling to imitate our example and france relapsing from spasmodic tumults and abused opportunity to yet more galling servitude remind us of our peculiar blessings god himself has placed our country on the mount of his favour and despite the efforts of their despotic masters the people of all nations look to the brightness of our watchfires and take courage yet is there no danger can one be so blind to the imperfection of our nature and of all human institutions as to believe we may repose in safety and abandon the watch over our privileges are there no dark clouds skirting our political horizon no tremblings beneath the foot which may be presages of the storm and earthquake christians and fellow-citizens stand fast in the liberty wherewith christ hath made his people free 
the reference of the text is not indeed directly to civil liberty it intends primarily the deliverance of evangelized israel from the bondage of the levitical ritual and includes their freedom from the bondage of sin but liberty is one its source must ever be the same the purpose of the gospel is to break every yoke and there is not a form which true liberty can assume that derives not its beauty and its vigour from the spirit of christ dwelling within as the animating principle the text therefore instructs us as patriots let us then consider first the nature of liberty second the dangers to which our liberties are exposed third the means of their preservation first the nature of true liberty liberty we would define to be freedom in the right pursuit of happiness god gives to every intelligent creature a right to be happy for it is impossible to suppose that a benevolent being would create another to be miserable this right supposes the right to pursue the means of happiness of which no man can be deprived without injustice true liberty is thus not inconsistent but perfectly harmonious with our obligation to obey the laws of god for happiness under the government of a wise and holy god who has constituted man after his own image can only be enjoyed by us in obedience to the fundamental laws which he has ordained and the moral connections of cause and effect must be as certain as the physical the transgression of these laws is an abuse of freedom and a voluntary forfeiture of happiness the man who is restrained from prosecuting his labour or his pleasure by the demands of his body for food or for sleep suffers no deprivation of liberty because food and sleep are necessary for the constitution of his nature he must comply with these demands or perish thus also the commands to abstain from drunkenness sensuality or idleness are no infringement of our liberty because such crimes are opposed to our true happiness so the precepts which forbid envy malice hatred avarice discontent are all in perfect consistence with true liberty indeed obedience to the divine will is the only right method of pursuing happiness but man is not solitary he is constituted with relations to his fellow-men dependent upon them as he is for happiness he owes to them reciprocal duties and as the right discharge of these reciprocal duties is necessary to the happiness of the whole of which he is a part so the commands of god which enjoin him to seek their welfare and refrain from their injury are not infringements of his true liberty but on the contrary his obedience to them is its proper exercise the same laws which prohibit him from invading the life the property or the domestic peace of his neighbour restrain his neighbour from the like invasion on his own without such laws there would be no security and consequently no happiness equally necessary to his personal enjoyment are those precepts which enjoin active benevolence and interchanging kindnesses for they are intended to acquire for him the same blessings which they require him to confer the imperfect recognition of the divine government by men has led to the necessity of human laws as an intermediate and tangible security of human rights for this purpose god has given his sanction to governments upon earth and explicitly commands us to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well for so is the will of god that with well-doing we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of god our obligation therefore to obey the laws of men so far as they are consistent with divine law is not an infringement of true liberty but on the contrary right government is essential to its enjoyment and preservation 
and whenever human laws are most consistent with the divine, then men may enjoy the truest liberty. Thus a free government must be a government of the people, by which I mean one whose laws emanate from the people they govern as their sovereign source. For as the pursuit of happiness is the right of every man, and God has constituted every man the cultivator of his own happiness, no one may justly restrain him in it, except where it interferes with the good of the community. Of this interference none but a majority of that community has a right to decide, and to the voice of that majority every one should willingly submit himself, for although instances of wrong from the community to individuals may occur, they will be comparatively rare, as no one would knowingly give sanction to a precedent for wrong to himself, and each citizen in guarding the right of his neighbour guards his own. As a matter of course, there are exceptions to this right of every individual to share in his own government, as in the case of those who from youth or other disabilities are incompetent to its exercise, yet these do not affect the general rule. The arbitrary governments of Europe are formed in opposition to this natural right of self-government, and the right of ruling others is claimed most preposterously from inheritance, or more profanely from divine grant, while it remains for us to exhibit before the world the first example of its safe and enlightened exercise. Thus also a free government should secure liberty of conscience in the worship of God. Religion is a matter between man and his maker. To his maker alone, therefore, he is responsible for it. Except where its exercise interferes with the same right in others, no man or set of men has justly the power, directly or indirectly, to restrain another in his religious conduct. If a man by his mode of worship or his contempt of worship interrupts the devotion of his fellow-citizens, or propagates such sentiments, falsely called religious, as are contrary to good morals, or dangerous to civil freedom, he should be restrained as a transgressor of common rights, but in no other case. The promise, therefore, of peculiar temporal privileges upon the one hand, or the threat of temporal penalties on the other, to influence individuals in the adoption of a religion, is a violation of natural right, and a blasphemous attempt upon the divine prerogative. It is, moreover, absurd in its very nature, for the opinions and sentiments of the inner man are beyond the reach of human power, and hence persecution never destroyed any sect of religionists. You will remark, however, that I am speaking here of civil, not ecclesiastical governments, for I am far from admitting that discipline in churches with reference to opinion is wrong or needless. In most ecclesiastical associations the bond of union is religious doctrine, and where one has united himself voluntarily to a sect, and afterwards embraces and teaches sentiments with the voice of that sect, and afterwards embraces and teaches sentiments which the voice of that sect declares to be different, he ought to be expelled as having violated his covenant, and is guilty of a breach of faith in seeking to remain. Arbitrary governments uniformly interfere with the religious worship of their subjects, because they desire the aid of ecclesiastical influence to control the people. It is indeed worthy of observation that the state has always sought the aid of the church in the first instance, and never the church the aid of the state, until the example had thus been set. A careful reference to the history of establishments will confirm this assertion. But it is the glory of our country that here every man may worship God according to the dictates of his conscience, and that all the advantages of citizenship are offered to everyone without reference to his religion. Thus may it ever remain, for God is able to succeed his own cause without the aid of civil power, and the union of church with state is more dangerous to the purity of the first than the freedom of the last. So a free government should secure our personal freedom and the right of property. 
these belong to the individual it is therefore a violation of liberty to pass laws restraining the subject from going where he pleases in his pursuit of happiness or in the acquisition and use of wealth except so far as is necessary for the public good in the decision of which question he should have a voice such instances may occur as in the punishment of crime the prevention of pestilence the levying of armies for national defence or the laying of taxes for the support of government or of duties for the regulation and protection of industry but if otherwise my personal liberty or property be at the disposal of others my pursuit of happiness is at an end hence the first efforts of those struggling under a despotism is to attain these rights as they seem to lay the foundation of all and hence the peculiar excellence of our happy institutions which by an equality of representation give to every man a power over his freedom and purse these are the principal elements of a free government and in the intelligent use of such privileges with obedience to the commands of god the highest enjoyment of temporal liberty and happiness consists this liberty like every other blessing we derive from christ and had i time it could be shown that it is peculiarly the result of christian principles for the history of the world demonstrates that civil liberty has ever been in proportion to the prevalence of pure christianity while therefore it is to god we give thanks we may receive from god the exhortation to stand fast in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free second let us consider the dangers to which our liberties are exposed as the great evil of sin is to subject the mind to the inferior body so the great danger to true liberty is the contest between might and law between brute force and right reason precisely as men refuse to submit to the government of reason they have recourse to physical strength the same principle which leads an angry because unsuccessful disputant to knock his antagonist down leads men who would unjustly oppress others to do it by main force hence the scourge and the chain are the inseparable accompaniments of slavery hence arms have been called the last argument of kings and hence the immense armies of arbitrary governments it was this which made our fathers so jealous of a standing army and it is the supremacy of reason alone that can render it unnecessary for home purposes here however lies the secret of our danger in the united states the very instinct of our natures the very genius of our free institutions which lead us to resist the usurpations of power are liable to pervert our strength in resisting or overcoming law when it seems to interfere with our inclinations or personal interests when men are conscious of the power to resist or oppress and their minds are not sufficiently enlightened as to their true interests to employ such power aright there is always danger in popular governments when the numerical force of contending parties is brought into clear comparison by their ballots this danger must be peculiarly great it is distinctly visible in that jacobinism which seeks to attain its ends in any other way than by the intervention of law it is this spirit which has excited the various riots that have from time to time disgraced so many portions of our land no matter by what cause excited or against what objects directed it may be religious persecution in burning a convent or hatred against the blacks in tearing down their dwellings or indignation against a gang of gamblers in summarily hanging them or hate of insurrectionists in executing them without legal trial or in violating the sanctity of the mail to come at incendiary publications but the spirit is the same and always dangerous every man has a right to justice and justice requires calmness and deliberation it can never be administered by an infuriated populace or an illegal and usurping cabal 
the next night prejudice may direct the same violence against a protestant church or the best citizens of our land it is submitting everything for decision to a contest of brute force it is vain to say there are cases beyond the reach of law law is reason and where reason cannot govern there can be no liberty and the elements of society are reduced to chaos laws alone should be invoked but never brute force substituted for them if such be the state of things under our institutions that might must govern good night to liberty if might must rule let it be the might of one tyrant not of many the same tendency is seen in what are technically termed strikes when combinations are formed by men who refuse to labour and a parade of physical force is made to intimidate their fellow workmen and their employers that the price of labour may be enhanced these measures can rarely be carried out without violence either against dissenting workmen or those who employ them as we see in the frequent fights and incendiarisms which accompany them it is also vain to attempt any lasting alteration by such means it is a senseless opposition to the unchangeable and resistless laws of profit and loss labour like every other marketable thing will bring its price and no more than its price and that price can only be regulated by the necessary competition of trade if the demand for the products of labour be more than the number of labourers can supply the master workman will increase the rate of the wages he pays that he may obtain workmen and thus secure his own profits being justified in so doing by the increased price of his articles but if the number of labourers be greater than is necessary to supply the demand for their products the price of those products must fall and consequently the price of labour must fall with them for no man will pay others what would take away his own profits a strike therefore is at best only a trial between the journeyman and the master workman as to which can do without bread the longest for a combination of the one class will necessarily produce a combination of the other in self-defence labour i repeat must have its market price it is regulated by the supply and demand every man will give as much as he can that he may secure more profits for himself and no men will willingly give more lest he lose those profits as it would be unjust in me to compel a man to take less than the market price so it is unjust in him to compel me to give more and what is unjust in an individual is unjust in a body of men the first would be unjust in a combination of master workmen so the last is unjust in the workmen themselves such combinations must be fruitless a man may dip water from a river in a bucket but he cannot empty the river water will flow in to supply the vacuum so the refusal of any number of labourers to work will not permanently alter the state of things other labourers will come in to supply their places or the products of more remote industry will supply the absence of their own one might as well attempt to make water flow uphill as to raise the price of wages by such means the capitalist must get interest for his money or he will let it remain safely locked up the labourer must get wages to buy his bread or starve and i doubt not if the investigation were made into the stagnation of trade the stoppage of buildings and various enterprises in consequence of these strikes together with the idle days and the expenses of the dissipation accompanying the tedium of unusual idleness putting the moral and physical evils out of the question it would be seen that more has been lost by standing out than years can recover 
jealousy has been excited between classes who have a common interest and in the event of any unusual pressure upon the industry of the country it may well be feared that appeals to considerate and charitable indulgence once always successful would be made almost in vain may it not also be regretted that many of our more intelligent citizens who must have known better should have lent their sanction and their influence through the press or otherwise to courses most ruinous to the mistaken men themselves who pursued them such a spirit carried out would ruin all social peace and mutual rights it is an appeal to force not justice the same arguments it will easily be seen will apply to strikes for hours as well as wages except in the case of those who have nobly refused to break the sabbath with secular and unnecessary labour in which refusal they deserve the support of all good citizens we see this tendency manifested also in the endeavours which are made to array the rich and poor as parties against each other this is done on the one hand by appeals to the labouring classes to combine against the rich or the aristocracy as they are fantastically termed and on the other in the unmeasured epithets by which the one are distinguished as low and vulgar from the refined and intelligent such a course is very madness nothing can be gained from it while scarcely anything is more dangerous it appeals to the worst passions of our nature exciting the few rich to use their money as a defence against the physical and numerical force of the many in the labouring classes it needs but a glance to see that in a free government like ours their interests are so intimately combined that an injury to the one is of necessity an injury to the other for as the poor cannot live but upon the employment afforded by the capital of the rich so the rich cannot get interest for their capital or enjoy the luxuries of life without the employment of the poor if a rich man have a fuller wardrobe the tailor and the sempstress have the more employment while the hatter the shoemaker and the jeweller come in for their share if he have a mahogany table he must pay the cabinet-maker for it if he ride in his carriage he must employ the coach-builder and the saddler if he live in a finer house the carpenter the mason and the painter all demand their toll upon his luxuries his trade gives employment to the shipbuilder the mariner and the drayman and so his wealth finds its way necessarily through all the channels of life were all men poor what would become of the poor were all men rich what would be the use of riches why then put asunder those whom god has joined together the very nature of things in a free government where there are no hereditary privileges is opposed to such conflicts there can be no aristocracy among us but that of successful industry talent and worth such appeals therefore must lead to disastrous results for if to be rich is to expose a man in the oppression of the labouring classes who constitute the governing majority the motives to become rich are taken away the sinews of enterprise are cut and the rewards of the labourer must cease while capital will be exported to some safer place of use and deposit the same remarks may to a certain extent be applied to appeals made to our citizens as distinctive classes as to mechanics in opposition to merchants or professional men to native citizens in opposition to those whom in good faith we have adopted as sharing with ourselves in common benefits to the north in opposition to the south the west to the east the country to the town we are one in interest why should we not be one in heart away then with such distinctions made and used originally by political gamblers who would stake the welfare of the nation against their personal aggrandizement let no name be known but that of american citizen no rallying cry be heard but for our country our whole country and our country as one i could allude also to the manifestation of the same radical and jacobinical spirit as seen in the course of those who in blind or pretended zeal for the abolition of slavery 
evince a determination to trample upon the sacred compact which secured our country's liberties and to scatter firebrands arrows and death among the dwellings of our southern brethren who defamed in their scurrilous prints the characters of the best of men ay and of women too who cannot adopt their frenzied zeal and who reward with plaudits and premature apotheosis the foreign and hired agitator for his calumnies against their native land there may be nay there are many good and sincere though misguided men among them yet is the spirit of their party jacobinism for it is in open violation of the acknowledged principles of our government it is as though they gave philanthropy a torch and mercy a poniard and bade them burn and destroy in the name of melting charity and so also might i turn to our southern compatriots and ask if they in their denunciation of all philanthropy for the enslaved negro even the wisest and their loud and furious threats to know no law in their resistance of fancied or real wrongs whether they do not invite the censure they heap upon others they say it is none of our business and that we have no right even to think or feel in the matter not feel for the black man not pity the slave not desire universal freedom by safe and legal means not wish the vindication of our common land from the censures of a liberated world before god we must he hath put the mercy in our hearts and we cannot cast it forth we love them and we will seek their good we will invoke heaven's blessings on their heads but we must feel we must weep we must pray for the brethren of our race who are in bondage though their faces be black and their fathers were bondsmen we cannot be traitors to our nature despisers of christianity and rebels against our god in forgetting that they are men and brethren the rapid increase of vicious indulgence in a community like ours must tend to the destruction of true liberty for it not only impairs a man's perception of his true interests but makes him the slave of his vicious propensities and consequently the means of indulgence the price of his freedom what will not the drunkard give for the gratification of his thirst or the sensualist of his lust money can never reduce to bondage a virtuous commonwealth the fewness of their wants place them beyond the reach of bribes see said a frugal patriot of ancient times when one came to bribe him to the betrayal of his country see my dinner see my dwelling see my garments can your master purchase one whose wants are so few it is the vices of our countrymen which will make them slaves if ever they become so vice while it degrades our spirits makes us needy and unless our morals be preserved money in some form or other will yet be the tyrant of america had i time i would dwell with special emphasis upon one vice which makes more thieves more murderers more incendiaries beggars more households widows more wives abandons more children builds more jails fills more almshouses inflicts more taxes destroys more lives and damns more souls than any or all other causes put together i mean the use of ardent spirits as a drink it has already branded us among the people of the earth as a nation of drunkards and unless it be arrested it will yet brand us as a nation of slaves i might have shown the moral connection of danger from the wrath of god with our national sins our sins of profanity for which the land mourneth of sabbath-breaking even in high places and neglect of divine worship our sins of pride in forgetting our dependence upon the god of nations our sins of injustice against those who suffer as slaves amidst a nation of freemen but i forbear as such considerations though not sufficiently appreciated are more obvious and may also be included in the two general heads we have noted ignorance of our true interests and vice these are the dangers that threaten a government like ours which is based upon the opinions of the people for if the people be ignorant 
they will become the dupes of the designing if they be vicious they will become the venal slaves of power third let us consider the best means of preserving our liberties and now i speak to christian patriots we have seen that true liberty consists in obedience to right laws and that laws are right only as they are agreeable with the laws of god we have also seen that ignorance which obeys our inferior nature rather than our reason and vice which subjects the mind to the propensities of our bodies are the great dangers of our liberties the right method to maintain them therefore is to diffuse intelligence and virtue the christian however believes that true intelligence and virtue are secured by the gospel alone a man must know himself to be immortal and what the will of his god is to know wherein true happiness consists and this knowledge when practically received is the best security for the practice of virtue indeed it may correctly be asserted that the idea of self-government is a chimera it can have no real existence god made man a subject he must have a king and that people who acknowledges no king in heaven will soon be ruled by tyrants upon earth the extension of pure religion is then the best means of securing the liberty of our country that religion which makes the law of god the rule of all our conduct that religion which fixes the eye of god upon our secret practices and our inward motives that religion which proposes the richest rewards to virtue and the heaviest penalties against sin which the law of man cannot nor dare not reach that religion which brings every man before the judgment seat of god in his responsibility and which draws by the sweetest inducements in the exhibition of a saviour's love the heart of man to follow his example this religion is not to be advanced by civil power he is a traitor to her cause who would seek her elevation by any other strength than her own the means of this advancement god has clearly laid down the christian will do it by his example standing fast in the liberty wherewith christ hath made him free he by the purity of his life the equity of his dealings the benevolence of his acts the conscientious use of his right of suffrage for which he is responsible as for any other talent and by the diligent discharge of every other duty is to win others to admire and pursue the same course of happy freedom with himself the force of christian example alone were every christian in the land faithful to his duty would place our liberties beyond the reach of danger the christian will extend the gospel by the spread of its ordinances whatever means god gives his sanction to in his word for converting sinners to himself he will employ in preserving the liberty of his country the word of god will be placed in the hand of every citizen the pulpit will be erected in every hamlet the religious tract committed to every breeze the sabbath school embrace every growing youth the morality of the gospel its temperance its chastity its meekness and its charity will be recommended to every heart thus god will be exalted and blessed shall be that people whose god he is this includes the blessing of general education the minds of our fellow-citizens should be trained and fitted to appreciate the claims of duty to god and man and thus be persuaded of the fitness and wisdom of virtue and order cheap but instructive publications communicating the elements of useful knowledge especially of the principles of government should be diffused among them not a science which opens the secrets of nature which traces the connection of effects with their causes which develops and strengthens the powers of the mind or which may amuse the season of leisure from folly and crime will the christian believe unimportant to this end but by his fostering care the church the schoolhouse the lyceum and the college will flourish together as the ornaments and stays of the republic but as all means are inefficient without the divine blessing the christian will invoke by prayer the presiding blessing of the king of kings 
he will pray for himself that he may be able to live worthy of the high trust committed to him as one of the guardians of the republic and that he may keep nothing back which her interests demand from him he will pray for the church that her influence may be rightly exercised and continually extended like preserving salt he will pray for the people that they may do justice love mercy and walk humbly with god and never will he forget what alas is too often forgotten to pray for all who are in authority that they may be guided into all truth and that the blessing of him upon whose shoulders is the government may rest upon them the prayers of one righteous man had well-nigh saved sodom and the fervent prayers of the church united are sufficient to save and perpetuate our freedom ah my beloved christians here is work to do better than sectarian disputes and party squabbles better than adventuring new theories and reviving old polemics oh that we could cast all aside and neither offering offence or taking it readily live for our country and our god like christian patriots then should the glory of the lord burn around our coasts and over all the glory there would be a defence amen end of our liberties their danger and the means of preserving them by george washington bethune